1: encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and we're going to have a wonderful show this afternoon. I have uh, two women joining us. Uh, we have our monthly uh Financial contributor at the top of the show this afternoon, Kristen Hillsley, who is a financial advisor with Robert W Baird, and our guest following Kristen will be Trish Costello, who is the CEO and founder of Portfolio, a entrepreneurial investing group designed for women. Uh, before we get started, I want to give out our website, which is WomenToWatch.net. That's women, the number two watch.net, NET, where you can find our uh, wonderful lineup of guests that we have scheduled uh, through May, I believe, right now. And if you're listening to the show and you'd like to call in with questions, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so by dialing 888 329 3306. That's 888 329 3306. So let's get started with. Kristen, who's going to be talking to us about re-entering the workforce. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, Sue.
2: How are you? I'm
1: great. How are you doing?
2: I'm good, thank you.
1: Good. This is a great topic. Um, You know, what to know about re-entering the workforce, kind of relaunching careers. And uh, I know you have some great tips for our listeners around this.
2: Yeah, it's kind of funny because this is a very big financial topic as well as a personal topic. so it's, it's something that I wanted to, to bring about. I mean I'm not necessarily an HR expert or anything along those lines, but what I can tell you is that when I study um, you know the, the current state of, of the challenges that women face when it comes to their their, their finances, Um, On average, women spend about 12 fewer years in the workforce um, for family caregiving responsibilities than our male counterparts, and women are also twice as likely as men to work part-time. So um, these statistics tell us something financial about about women, and that is that if you are working less years, <clears throat> chances are your Social Security benefits will probably be lower than um, uh, your male counterpart. <clears throat> and the same thing with uh, if you're working part time, that can lower your Social Security benefit. So, too, if you're working in a job, which I know is a little more rare today, but with a pension, it can also lower the number of hours that you've put in for your pension benefits. Um, so, and, and also, with a 401k or a 403b, the less years you're working, the less money that you're putting away for retirement. So even though it's kind of a personal issue, it's also a big financial issue because in the end, we want to be able to hit that retirement finish line and feel really comfortable that we have all of the assets that we need to take us through retirement without having that anxiety that we might not have enough. So it's a really important issue and I have a lot of dear friends that have stayed home and taking care of family members, or I have other family members that have had to stay home to take care of loved ones. Um, and one of the things that you kind of have to decide when you're ready to go back is what do you want to go back to? Um, you know, I've not had a I, I never, you know, stayed home, but I can only imagine that when you're going back, you want to decide, do I want to go back full time? Am I ready for that? Do I want to go back part-time or do I maybe want to take, you know, maybe I had a certain role when I first started and maybe I'm comfortable taking a step back so I can have less days in the office and I'm comfortable having less responsibility as well. Um, The other big thing that's important is networking. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go to every event and hand out every single business card to every person with two hands. But what it does mean is that you have to kind of think thoughtfully about people that are in your family, in your social circle, um, in your, you know, in, in, in your church or, or things that you do for fun. Talk to people and tell them. I mean, this is a little bit of a different example, but I remember, you know, I started out my career in healthcare. And I ended up going back to school for my MBA, which is when I decided I wanted to transition into finance. And I told every person that I could possibly tell that I wanted to become a financial advisor. And it was a family friend who ended up introducing me to um, my former partner, the first person that I worked with when I became a financial advisor. So you never know who's going to know and, uh, you know, someone that you might want to meet. The other thing that we do every year, and you have been such an amazing part of this, is our Women's Lifestyle Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been, um, and I, maybe even you have felt the same way, it's been a great source for women to just connect to one another. And I've heard a lot of wonderful um, career changes and, and um, just people getting to know one another.
1: Well, certain. I always think when women get together you know, in that kind of a forum, um, there's always opportunities that, that come about from that. And and often, you know, you're starting out talking about personal um, things with people, but inevitably if you start to mention, you know, career or job or something you're looking for, um, you will get an introduction.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: Tell me about um, setting boundaries, something that you mentioned um, in your prep work for this that it's important to you know prioritize your financial needs um, but setting boundaries
2: sure Um, you know it's so hard to set boundaries sometimes and you know sometimes a boundary might be a personal boundary um, or like i said you know how much time you actually want to go back to work or or not go back to work Um, but financial boundaries are really important as well Once that paycheck starts coming in, it is so great to have, you know, prior to you working, it's so great to have certain goals in place. And that means different things for different people. So I, for example, have one client that's been with me for a really long time. She's retired, and and she has an emergency fund set up, but she funds it based on potential emergencies, you know? So it's like the car breakdown emergency fund, the healthcare care breakdown emergency fund, and so on and so forth. But in general, she knows that in her mind, her goal is, I just don't want to worry if any of these things happen. The other thing, too, is putting that financial plan together. So you might put a financial, you, you know, you might have all the intentions in the world of only working part-time, um, but you might put your financial plan together and I might say, hey, you know, you could retire a year earlier if you worked full time or you could, you know, there's a whole host of goals that people might have. You might need to put one of your children through college and it might be better to work and be able to pay that off rather than, um you know, to have to take out loans and things along those lines. So prioritizing your own retirement first, your own emergency savings first, and making sure that, you know, those credit cards, debt, things like that, just do not creep in there because that, those can be a recipe for disaster.
1: Do you have any advice? I'll just ask you this last question. You know, if someone, sometimes women are thinking about going back, but to an entirely different field. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's always a stressor. Maybe they don't go back to what they knew. Um, They want to try something brand new. Um,
2: I think that's something beautiful, and it really should be embraced. I mean, I think, you know, if we look at the historic nature of careers, people have people you know you might have been a carpenter you might have been a baker those aren't necessarily things that you would have stopped doing at 59 and a half or at 62 but enter into like the industrialization of the United States and people start thinking about retirement as a date because that's when their pension begins or that's when Social Security begins but the beauty of the direction that society is going now is that we are starting to be able to reinvent ourselves so you might be able to do that financial plan and you may have you may be able to find out that for the first time, yes, I can accept a volunteer a, you know a paid a paid uh, position with a nonprofit organization where I know I'm not going to be making as much as maybe I did before, but I sure know that it's going to feel a lot better inside um, so again, we can really create any outcome that we want if we have a good financial plan in place. Um, it's just when the numbers don't work that maybe some other maybe more tough decisions have to be made.
1: Yes. Well, hopefully, and this is what I'm going to be talking to Trish about in just a moment. Um, I hope that women will be in a position; they will have invested wisely and saved and planned, so that then perhaps later uh, they can be investing in other women's um, endeavors. So the young, the next generation coming up, um, the next entrepreneurial um, generation and, and, and do, you know, explore a little bit and do some research about investing in other companies that will be, you know, that's just going to contribute for all of us.
2: I, I agree. I really look forward to listening to that conversation. I think that's wonderful.
1: Okay. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for stopping in as usual. And, um, if anyone's listening and wants to be in touch with you, uh, what is your web address?
2: They can reach us at FH for Foley, Hoseley, Baird.com. So it's FH, Baird, B-A-I-R-D.com.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, Kristen. We'll talk Thank to you, you soon.
2: Okay, bye-bye.
1: Now I'd love to uh, welcome to the show Trish Costello. And Trish is the CEO and founder of Portfolia, which is an entrepreneurial investing group designed particularly for women. Trish, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Sue. Great to be here.
1: So great to have you. I was doing a little bit of extra research this morning and reading about the work you're doing, and I just have so many questions for you. It's it's such an exciting time for women in, in business, and so I think your insight's going to be really valuable for our listeners. Um, I would love to start with your growing up years, though, and find out a little bit about the young Trish Costello and, um, you know, what some of the uh, things were that helped to shape the drive that you have today. So talk to me a little bit about your your early years growing up in Kansas.
3: Well, it's uh, it would not be the kind of background that would predispose me to uh, later um, creating a... Uh, you know an investing and unique investing platform for women um I grew up in a farm town uh, in what they would call little pittsburgh in in uh, in that it was named after of course Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania because it was a mining town okay uh but actually there in kansas mm-hmm. uh, and we had um, you know uh, i mean i i grew up as i said in a farming community um uh, was the first in my uh, family to go to college. Uh, but my father was kind of a social entrepreneur. He was the, the, the head of the volunteer fire department. Um, he helped build the little league sports uh, fields. Um, he taught himself to write federal um, grants and actually was able to um, raise money to build housing for the elderly in this little tiny community. So I was able to see early, Sue, that you could start with nothing but a great idea and find ways to access um, dollars and um, other types of help and actually create something just out of a good idea.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a great example um, to grow up to. And Did you actually grow up on a farm or in a, in a farming town?
3: Uh, my father was a baker. Okay. Uh, In a farming town, Uh, my grandfather was a farmer, so I've been on a farm, been on the farm many times. But uh, but we had moved into the city. We were city kids. You were city kids. (laughs)
1: Okay. And and how about mom? Did she work outside of the home?
3: You know, mom was mom worked outside of the home in the same way that many moms in the fifties did. Um, She worked as a bookkeeper. She um uh worked in a restaurant so uh um, not in any kind of professional capacity but both of my parents were very very hard workers and had um had a vision for what they wanted their family to you know to be like and how they wanted you know us to develop and grow and have the freedom to make our own decisions
1: you know i often hear when women or or, or men are, are the first in the family to go to college that's really very celebrated uh, would you say that you know education was that message for you was was very strong growing up that you know in order to really um be able to be successful that you had to complete your education
3: oh definitely definitely that was that was always the uh that was always the expectation and um and we had the kind of support that we needed to do that um and it was not, you know, and and it, it, back um, at the time that I was going to college, thankfully it wasn't um, so terribly expensive, and it it you know it wasn't like you were saddled for the rest of your life with, uh, you know, with education debt either. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, that's one thing I do worry about today is that we put such a burden on our children.
1: Yes. Um,
3: yes. Too often when they when they want to get education.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a big problem today. Um, Well, you went and attended Pittsburgh State University, and you were named Outstanding Woman Graduate, and you were also Student Body President. So that says to me that, you know, right off the bat, you were, um, you know, someone who was seeking leadership positions.
3: My gosh, Sue, I can't believe you found those, uh, you know, those, those old facts. From, um you know 35 40 years ago <laughs> well uh, we... that would be actually that would be 40 years ago now okay uh, this you know so about about this time so yeah, yeah. Uh, 1978 was when i graduated Yeah. Uh, so uh yes that was uh you know i uh, you know i think it was one of those where as i said i had seen a lot of leadership in my in my family um and had gone to high school in a very small, you know, high school um, that did not, at the time was not focused on academics. It was focused on, you know, football and sports, and and girls weren't, you know, in my high school, even expected to go to college. So when I went to college, even in my um, um, 5,000-person state school, uh, the opportunities just it just seemed to me that the world was you know was at my feet that i that as long as i worked hard and had big dreams and um and kept a vision in mind that i could achieve anything and um that's where i really i really put a lot of um you know give a lot of credit to my uh, state university there because they they really um you know they saw a bright young woman and just wanted to you know let me go as far as i could and uh, and it was a wonderful experience so tell I, I try to go back there when I'm back home
1: seeing my family yeah, oh that's great. Tell me what your dreams were then in college because my I'm, I'm assuming that at at that age you you know you didn't know that one day you would be um starting this company that would be investing in women. But there was probably an evolution. What was what was the beginning?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, we actually, you know, at that point, I knew I wanted to get, I wanted to be in business in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting an accounting degree. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I knew that business would be in my future, um, I actually started uh, a, a small business with my sister right out of college. So I, I did go to work for Southwestern Bell and AT&T, um, which was a major hirer of young um, grads at the time. But on the side, we started a daycare center, um, This is still fairly new, um, and the big exits, uh, La Petite Academy, KinderCare, were both companies that were venture backed that were being grown in those days when daycares were being um, expanded across the country and we had a little daycare. And so we were actually in a space, even, you know, way, way back in the early days um, that was a high potential uh, opportunity. Now, you know, my sister's uh, four or five years younger than I am. So um, we were not very old. She was probably still in her teens and I was 23 you know, 24 years old. Um, and and when we started, uh, you know, our first little daycare. Wow. Um, was that my was... brother
1: and I later were in a business. Mm-hmm. Is that right? The daycare, uh, Trish, was when you grad after graduation or while you were in yes. college? Okay. Yeah, shortly.
3: No, she was in college, but it was a couple of years after I graduated. Mm-hmm. You know, I made in a little bit of money. I was I thought I was rich because, you know, I had a <laughs> had a, a a managerial job. Uh I was hired out of school in uh, one of those training programs where they, you know, your first day you come in and they say those six people report to you and um <laughs> you know, we're going to this is how we're going to train you to be to be a manager and um and so but I lived very frugally and so that was um, you know, that was the investment capital that we used for, for our little daycare center. We bought you know, we didn't know. We bought we bought a little house in our community. Wow um, It actually didn't even have inside it didn't even have inside plumbing. So my father um, actually plumbed the house Oh my gosh! Uh, and um it became kind of a whole family a whole family affair wow building that uh that that little um daycare daycare center wow. but it was you know but it was the start of something really amazing, and again it was that you come up with an idea, a concept, you research it mm-hmm. you take the pieces apart and you um you know you make it happen yeah um and I think that's why we see that so often with immigrants as well is that you have to be so, We well, have to be resilient, but you also have to be so creative. You know, you have to make things work for yourself. And um, and I think that's good training.
1: It is. And, you know, the other thing I think is things are not always going to go the right direction. So tell me how you, um, you know, when things go awry, what what is your mantra? What kind of keeps you... Moving through the tough times i i you
3: know I think that um, I think that i don't i think that the the most important thing is that um, you know I know to expect up and da- ups and downs um I know that a dip isn't is it a downturn um, a dip is just a challenge uh, and that you just Keep moving through it, taking things apart, trying to figure out next steps. You know, having that plan B. Um, and you know, you just um, you know, when you're there are times that you need to pull the plug or you need to reevaluate. But even that's not even that's not a you know that's not a, a failure um, when you when you're looking at it to get the learning from it and you're you're building your next. You know, opportunity on top of it.
1: I guess that it's just a, a pivot, and right? A new direction. It's,
3: it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. It is a new direction, and um, well, you know, um, there's so many areas that we can that we can build and improve on in the world, and I think that's one thing that I think is also, you know, very exciting for you know, very excited about how women think. Um, you know, shortly after the, the daycare center. Um, um, about you know a number of years later, I, I it was you know we were in the middle of of um, an earlier piece of the women's movement and um, you know I helped start uh, one of the first battered women's shelters in um, in Kansas City at that time and um, and led it and actually left my job at AT&T and led that battered women's shelter as the executive director for two years. And I'd have to say that I learned so much about entrepreneurship from um, running that women's shelter because again it was it was uh, tackling a huge challenge a social challenge um, it was all about marketing um, about enabling people and sales enabling people to understand both the problem and that there were solutions um, it was quite you know, um, quite unusual at that point. Um, rape crisis centers and better women's shelters were, were just starting. And and to also be able to, with a nonprofit with very little money, figure out how to recruit top people and how to incent them and bring them together as a team when you did not have money as a resource like I did at AT&T. Uh, and I, I would say that was one of the highlights of a business experience you know, in my first 20 years, um, because of the deep expertise and the challenges, and you know that battered Women's shelter Rosebrook Center, you know is still now it's in a gigantic home, um, and still operating, still helping women, and still a pillar of the community.
1: That's wonderful. Did you were you partnering with others at the time to um, to help these women? You know, beyond being at the shelter and kind of creating a life for themselves well, yes, in fact, we built out all types of programs.
3: we ended up um you know getting uh, state uh state money for alcohol and drug um dependencies. you know we ended up um uh, partnering with uh with people that were dealing with homeless issues because that you know was a part of it. We actually went very deep and and um started unpacking what all of the issues were around women's inability at the time to, you know, move out of um, um, abusive situations. You know, I had the, the uh, one of the top people in the police department on my board because we knew we needed to educate uh, the police. Um, we had people from the religious community. And and I wanna, you know, I also want to say, this is, you know, kind of one of these important shout outs. Um, the majority of women that were, uh, that were building these programs and making a a difference in the world were lesbian women um and uh, um you know i was a young married woman at the time but it was the real the real leaders that came out early and and put their names there were were um were women that that very often were lesbian and had a lot of fear, should have had a lot of fear and knew uh, because their children could be taken away from them or they could lose their jobs. I mean, that was in the very early days of not in a world where we live today. Right. Um, yeah. And those women, many of them, they're still dear, dear friends. You know, I look at that and say, if it weren't for their courage, you know, mm. we don't some, we don't often really appreciate and thank um, lesbian women for for changing rape um, you know, creating rape crisis centers and things like this. They, Mm, they were on the front line and I followed them and they were my, they were my guiding star. Wow.
1: And, and you're right. You know, it's very courageous to be doing that at a time when, um, you know, there, there would be a lot of criticism coming back on you to be able to speak out, um, and make a difference. We, we learn, you know, it's a, you know our, if,
3: we're, if we want to be entrepreneurs we, we, or if we want to create, if we want to create in business, we can often find these uh, experiences that masquerade as different things, masquerade as social services or, or even masquerade as corporate. And um, in those early years, what I tell a lot of the young women that I mentor is, you know, these early years, it's all about finding that experience that lets you stretch and grow and test yourself. Um and and look for those, you know, even in, in ways where it initially may be hidden to you. Mm.
1: Tell me how you came to be co founder of Kaufman Fellows program.
3: Mm-hmm. So um so I had uh you know, had gone through this, had had uh started the Battered Women's Shelter and then moved on and um became uh joined a founding team to create companies in the children's health space. That was Child Health Corporation of America. Um, We were venture backed. We were co-owned by a number of children's hospitals who invested in in our company and started creating uh, products for children, medical education. Um, I ran Children's Health Network, which was the children's health network, the the, um, uh, parenting and accredited medical education. Um, delivered by satellite, Sue. This is way before internet, <laughs> um, and, or about the time of internet, but but before it was uh, before it was um, you know really you know something that individuals or businesses were able to use. It was still a, the internet was still used in research only research that time, yeah. and so it was all satellite satellite delivered education, um, and uh, as I said, medical education as well as parenting and others. We would actually go in and do high level um uh, we we would uh, would uh, film you know high level brain you know surgery and and uh, and trans, organ transplants in the pediatric world and then send them out to all of the other physicians around the world who wanted to learn how to do you know these very high level types of um you know medical procedures Uh, We did very well with that company. I was there for six years um, and all the other a number of companies that came out of our work. Um, And so so that was kind of that movement where I really went into a fast-growth entrepreneurial company that really made that shift. Um, And we were able to, you know, we were the largest provider of pediatric home health care. We created the concept of home health care, you know, everything from, prosthesis for babies and wheelchairs for little children, customized for them, um, was all a part of our product lines. So, um, so that really was, um, you know, was a, you know a major experience for me. Um, and then I had my own two little babies. I had twins mm-hmm. uh, in 1990, and um, opted to um, to stay home for a little bit with them and um, sold my equity share in the company. Um, and was at was at home with my children when um, when Eileen Kaufman Kaufman um, uh, passed away and left uh, two billion almost two billion dollars to be used by the Kaufman Foundation to create really a whole new ecosystem for entrepreneurs that did not exist at the time. Sue, the idea of of the importance of entrepreneurs and the importance of you know, of startups. Um, was really not a common view in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the IRS put a whole team of agents on it um, because they thought that it could be that the foundation might be trying to create some kind of scheme where they were taking nonprofit money and, and putting it into for-profit you know, companies, Um, and so they gave us a a period of time to show that what we were doing was socially redeeming, the exact words, and um, and in fact, you know, the rest of this is, I think, fairly well known that, you know, we now know today that entrepreneurship and innovative startup growth companies are where nearly all of the new jobs come from, nearly all of the new technology uh, comes from this work, and so, you know, it seems, you know, quaint, that um, just early in the 90s that that wasn't the case, but it is true. And so because I had been in a fast growth uh, startup company, because we had been venture backed and in fact had our own little venture fund, it made me, in Kansas City, a local expert in venture capital. So they sought me out and uh, and I joined the the team, the startup team at the Kaufman Foundation, and was challenged with creating a new training program something that didn't had never existed creating a training program to um, to basically create new venture capitalists that would back in the technology world uh, that would back um, rising you know entrepreneurs wow wow Uh,
1: that's amazing and And, and you uh, were your children (laughs) you have twins right Trish so how old were they when when you were sought out to do this
3: uh, they were probably they were I think they were three years old at the time. Oh my gosh! Um, and so they were still quite young. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, You're talking uh, about it very nonchalant, I mean, they've, but. They've been... <laughs> well, this they've is... been raised. They they were raised in the business. Right. They were raised in the business. They would little, they'd be little tiny girls sitting in the back of some big meeting room, you know, listening to the top VCs in the world talk about. You know, talk about this. Um, you know how you how you evaluate companies, and you know through the years, and now many years later, so they're now my daughters are now 27 years old, and both of them are with venture back companies oh, here cool. in San Francisco, and have been with multiple venture back companies.
1: Wow, I love that. I love that. It's a family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they, they saw by, you know, they witnessed by example and, and learned that way from you. It's tremendous. Um, listen, we have to take a quick break for our sponsors. When we come back, I want to get right to the catalyst for founding Portfolio. We'll be right back.
0: This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a Women's Lifestyle Conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to an- announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more. All available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhilsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, member SIPC. Log on to com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y-Group.com. Or call... Since 1858,
1: Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco and I'm joined this afternoon by Trish Costello. And Trish is the CEO and founder of Portfolia. Uh, and I want to, you know, have you just describe the very moment it, you know, you made the decision to to start this um, investing group and, and how it came to be. Yes.
3: Yeah. So what happened, what happened with this, Sue, is that And, you know, I left the I left the venture industry for a couple of years and, um, you know, had taken a little bit of a break and and did a couple of other things and then came back and was really able to see a lot of things with fresh eyes. And the most important piece of this, Sue, was that um, women really were not were not able to move into venture capital as venture capitalists themselves, professional investors. Uh, They were starting to become angel investors, so individual investors in companies. But we weren't really seeing a movement of women um, into the space. And why that's so important, Sue, is that um, all of the innovative companies, all of the innovative products um, that are really getting scaling fast and really changing our world. We know this from Facebook and, and, you know, Um, just name it, all of these, you know, major companies that are out there that impact our daily lives, they are all run by men and they are financed by men. Um, I had tried to to change that uh, when I was at Kauffman Fellows. I tried to change that at Kauffman Foundation, funding some of the most innovative women's groups and organizations that were working in the space. But what I, what I had initially done is through Kauffman Fellows, Work within the venture capital system itself. Uh, when I came back, what I realized is it's fine to work within a system, but if you really want to make major changes in the world, you really need to disrupt um, what's happening. You really need to think way out of the box. Mm. And um, and so what I what and, and so I started researching this. I started you know I real I knew I knew. How the system worked probably better than anybody because i had worked with hundreds of venture capitalists so um and so i took as my challenge sue that i was going to take the venture capital investing process i was going to deconstruct it um and my the challenge i gave myself is that this is a design challenge how do you recreate the venture investing process in a way that completely works to the advantage of the woman as an investor. How do we want to, how do we organize? You know, left to our own devices, how do we organize? How do we make decisions? How do we add value? How do we communicate? Um, And so I, I basically recreated the process of investing in a way that I thought would not only be attractive and engaging to women, but that would give us a unique competitive advantage to this old traditional system that's out there now, that's 95 percent men, that's relatively unchanged since the 1950s. How do we recreate it in a way that we become powerful forces in the in the investing world? So that's what portfolio is all about. Mm.
1: Wow, that's amazing to me that you, you you know you just kind of dove in and dug deep, and I love that word disrupt that you used because I think that's so very true. In order to really have impact, um, sometimes you have to completely change direction in an area. Um, One of the things, when I think about, you know, the difference, like, what are these differences between men and women that kind of hold women back? And um, you had shared a statistic that 40 percent, there was a 40 percent gap in confidence data shows Uh, between men and women. And women have the knowledge and the know-how and the ideas. How can we, you know, how can we get women to have more confidence in their ideas?
3: Yeah, so, you know, I think what a lot of it is when you're looking at women as investors is that um, you have to give them the format that works for them. And I'll give you an example. You know, when we read... Um, when we, when we work out or when we read books, um, we often don't see that as a singular pursuit or when we lose weight, you know, we see that as, um, as, as a, as something that we do with other women that we trust and care about. We work out, we have, we have workout partners or we go to, you know, workout groups that, you know, that do circuits. So when we read books, we love to be in book clubs. How many men do you think are in book clubs? You know, it's, it doesn't mean they don't even exist, you know, and so so many many things like investing, uh, like reading, like working out are more individual pursuits when men do them. When we do it as a community, and so um, and so to put to put the expectation on a woman that investing is a singular pursuit already makes her uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and so it's really taking what happens in the investing world and saying, we're not going to teach only teach women financial literacy We're not going to teach them the words that have been used, you know, or created by men or, or teach them what the system and shoehorn them into a system um, that was built for others. We're going to modify the system to make them comfortable, to make it enjoyable, to make it valuable. And that's the really, that's the root. I think women, if you, you know, in the right environment, um, are just as comfortable with risk. Um, it's just that you're putting them in an environment they're not comfortable with. Mm.
1: So is that so? If I understand it, the model for portfolio is to be you're investing in multiple companies. So you're putting your money into a fund that is going to benefit right. multiple companies. Is that correct?
3: That's correct, Sue. And and so and even so that's such a good example because it is very risky when you're investing in one company or you're gonna invest you're gonna put all your money, let's say you're gonna take, you know, fifty or a hundred thousand for that year and put it in one company. That is highly risky. Mm, yes. um, even if you're putting ten thousand in one company, that's highly risky. We know, you know, if we were if we were going to invest in, you know, even the public stock market, you wouldn't just buy one Type of stock, right? Yes, it's tricky. Right. But that's what that that's the practice in in you know early stage investing. You know, you just have enough money to put in one or two companies. What we know is that if you invest in six to nine companies in a year, you are going to have a much higher probability of making a return. That's why venture capitalists do it that way. But you know, what if you want to invest in a venture fund? You need to put up you know, a couple of million dollars. And even very wealthy women are nervous about that. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not a part of that world. And so what I did is create an opportunity for you to put $10,000 in a venture fund. And that money get out across six to nine companies mm-hmm. in a particular vertical. So you could pick active aging, or you might be interested in consumer or enterprise companies or femtech. And you can pick you pick your space, mm-hmm. and then I have professional investors um, in each of those funds from around the country, and they make they are constantly looking at what are the coolest, most amazing new companies that are coming out um, with the best entrepreneurs and teams, mm-hmm. and we then diversify that money over the next twelve months um, in that vertical with those companies. And so, you know, will some companies die? Absolutely. Um, but we're giving a unique opportunity to be in an early stage investing private companies um, but spread out for a small amount of money spread out across all of those companies and to make it really engaging. And because we know, you know, women love to be educated. We want, we want to know more. We're, and so, um, so I created it as Learn by Investing Funds. So all of our individual investors, and we'll take 99 in each fund, they can be as involved as they like, or they can be as passive. So if you're busy and you've got a bunch of little kids, and or it's summertime and you don't have time, you just read the quarterly reports if you like. But if you have the time and you're really excited about being in the FemTech fund, then you can come on every month and watch the companies that are pitching you can ask them questions. You can be on the due diligence team. You can be completely involved. You can't make the final decision because um, it's managed. It's managed by, you know, a group of professionals that make the final decisions, but you can be involved with every step and you can help make those companies successful. Yeah. So it's really completely way.
1: It's wonderful, and it's exciting. I would think that that women would want to, as much as they can, um, be involved and 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 be a part of it. Um, you know we're seeing we're seeing such a renaissance of, of entrepreneurship, um, particularly among women. I'm just wondering your opinion, um, how does a woman decide really if entrepreneurship is right for her? Because I don't know that it is the best for for everyone.
3: Yeah, you have to have the fire in the belly. You really, you really need that. Um, and, um, and you have to want to be building something um, that you think can't be built by somebody else. That really plays to your passion. You know, and there's two kinds of entrepreneur. You know, multiple kinds of entrepreneurship. You know, you can have the little shop, you know, down the street that you you want to, you know, the dress shop. Um, and you wares. want to manage and maybe yeah, <laughs> yeah. sell your wares maybe yeah. maybe pass it on to your you know your a family member later mm-hmm. or you could you know think about a new way of selling clothes and want to want to create something that you think is going to be a national you know or a global brand mm-hmm. you know i look at the real real that's a you know great example my friend um julie Wainwright, you know so it's a, and it's like consignment you can create a little consignment store in mm-hmm. your neighborhood or you can do what julie wainwright has done which is create a multi-billion dollar yes. consignment empire with yeah. the real real yeah. and what which of those you want to be is complete i mean that's like you know completely different on how you would find money or you know the kind of challenges or requirements that takes um there used to be an old saying at Kaufman foundation actually built on a st- you know a very reliable statistic it said that we are as likely to start a business as we are to have a child. So it's just what what version of that starting a business do you want to do? Mm.
1: And, you, you know, that's so interesting. It's not a matter of right or wrong either, you know, how big you want to go or how small and, and simple you want your life to be. It really is such a very, very personal choice.
3: Absolutely. And, and you know, we there's different times in our lives that, you know, I mean, we can, you know, we can move in and out of, you know, any of those different ways. I mean, that's right. Uh, the daycare center was a little tiny operation in the neighborhood. Yeah, um, And yeah. Portfolio, yeah, portfolio. I intend in Portfolio to have over 100,000 women investing in our venture funds by 2022 for an average of about $15,000 a year. And, Sue, so that will be one point. $7 billion wow. that year going into the companies we want in the marketplace. Yeah, And so, you know, even for small amounts, um, we could be a juggernaut in the whole innovation, you know, ecosystem. So we can, you know, many of us are going to try all kinds of channels of this entrepreneurship world. You know, it's, it's so creative. We can, we can operate any way, but but um, but that's our goal. Our yeah. goal is to shift completely, you know how we how we see our money, how we use our money.
1: Tell me how you came up with that specific goal: a hundred thousand women in five years. At fifteen, mm-hmm. yeah. Where? How did that come about?
3: So there are five. So to to invest in entrepreneurial companies right now, you have to be accredited, and accredited means you make 200000 a year in income or 300000 with a spouse, or that you have a million dollars in assets minus your home. So that's a, that's a, a federal requirement to let you invest in, in entrepreneurial companies. Um, there are 5 million of us that meet, 5 million women that meet that, that number. Just a tiny, tiny number have ever invested in an entrepreneurial company. So my goal is to educate a, a million women um, on on what this is about, backing these you know new young companies that we want in the marketplace, mm-hmm. and I expect to have a hundred thousand investing every year, um, and that's just the beginning. And you I know, think you expect- will, by
1: the way. <laughs> I have no doubt that oh, you will. wonderful! Uh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, tell. I want to know what what you look for in a potential. You know, a company that you feel is going to be successful. what are the, some of the things that you look for in both in both the founder and the company itself at the very beginning?
3: Uh, we want the fire in the belly. okay. We want um, we want to know that they are just uh, they're resilient, that they have a vision um, for creating something that does not exist today. Um, we want to know that, on top of that vision, that they have the execution—you um, know, either expertise or plan—to take that big vision and and get it down to this is what I need to do this quarter, you know, this six months, this year, next year—to actually be able to see that vision come to life. Um, we like um, you know, kind of the major uh, roles. To be covered, in, well, you know, with that. So if it's in the sciences or healthcare, we want to see that they have uh, the proper medical, mm-hmm. you know, expertise as well. Or if it's in tech, um, that's critical. Uh, we want them to be addressing a big market. Uh, you can make a lot of mistakes if you have a big enough market. So we want to know that it's it's a big enough market, a big enough idea. We want the product to be unique. Um, we don't want to have seen 20 or 30 of these in the past. We want it, something, you know, that's that's going to, um, you know, really attract people. Uh, we want to know that that there's enough money in it that they actually can sell this, and that they can sell it to, you know, that large market um, and grow rapidly. Um, and we want them to, we want them to exit it at some point to be able to sell it because that's how we make our money. You know, we only make our unlike a bank where you pay back a loan. When you invest, you only make your money when that company either goes public or it's acquired by somebody um, or merges with another company. So we want to know that all of those things work. And um, all of my lead investors and my funds all understand all that dynamic. And not only do they understand that, but for all those small individual investors, they take it as their responsibility to help all of them understand it. Even though they're not making the final decisions, we want, you know, we just take it as our kind of our goal to make sure that we all kind of can, can, you know, understand how to filter or source for great opportunities. And so a lot of the best companies I see come from my individual investors who have, you know, have met someone or, or seeing someone speak or seen a product and they call me or, or email me and say, Oh my gosh, you need to see this company. You need to meet this entrepreneur. Mm,
1: that's that's so exciting. How many do you have right now? What what's your number of investors?
3: we have over three hundred
0: uh in
3: our funds. We have over three thousand. We have over three thousand on platform on the portfolio.com platform um, looking to get into the next fund our next, you know, or or a fund that they like because they're in different verticals our next fund is launching uh next week and it's the femtech fund or women's health which is a huge area yes. you know because 95% of vcs are men you know they in fact they tell me they don't like to do icky things you know if you have to say vagina <laughs> they don't they're not necessarily going to jump on that deal so <laughs> so we have uh it's a huge area yeah. um everything from menopause to fertility to you know, um, birth, childbirth, and, and, you know, just general health and well-being. So that's going to be a great fund.
1: You know, Trish, I want to just get back to you for a little bit. We have just a, a moment left. And, you know, your lifelong passion has been really in supporting and investing Uh, in innovative entrepreneurs and helping women personally and professionally. And, um, you know, a quote, you said something um, about helping women unlock these talents. Tell me what you think your own personal talent is that has allowed you to um, really, you know, just what you have accomplished, I think, is touching so many women. It's vast. what What is it about you that has allowed you to do that?
3: Uh, I think it's that I can i I have the ability to see of opportunities in a world that are not here yet. and um, and i'm 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 not afraid to put the uh, to put the creative work together to make them make them live Mm. bring them to fruition
1: yeah i love that that would be vision and courage i think sums you up thank you thank you oh yeah thanks trish i we have to go and i appreciate your time and sharing your story with us and we're going to be following all the work
3: thank you sue appreciate being with you
1: thank you that's it everyone for another week of women to watch have a great week